Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is Anupa Mystery, and you're listening to Burnout, short conversations about creative sustainability with working artists. So I think everyone I know knows Jamal. <laughs> he is or was a self-described man about town. I'd known of him from his time in two Toronto bands that you should know about, the Carps and Thunder Heist. But for the last decade or so, Jamal's music making has been much more low-key. He's performed some solo music, is part of the Practice Collective. They throw these monthly jam sessions here in Toronto. And he collaborates as a producer and a writer with his musician friends. Jamal and I had a really candid conversation about living in New York and living in your own shadow. You know, you're a confident guy, Jamal. It's very hard for me to see you as wanting to be behind the scenes. Let me put it that way. (laughs) Uh, Well, with age, I've learned to shut the fuck up and sit down. And the process of me learning to be you know, supportive of others and kind of in the background was me like smalling up myself and like, you know, growing closer to God, Mm. you know, like whatever God is. And, um, that's the only way I can write music actually. and I am a composer and songwriter and DJ and man about town oh man about town (laughs) tell us more (laughs) okay that last part's not not real well I mean I guess I used to be a man about town right and that's why I'm like okay yeah 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 an ex-man about town (laughs) (laughs) ex-man's about town ex-man's about town I actually was um for a while uh when people would ask me what my music was about um i would describe it uh as black phil collins Hmm. stories from the vantage point of a uh from the of the post fuck boy can i hear that on spotify (laughs) yes yeah (laughs) if you search post fuck boy b-o-i of course yeah spotify's with it (laughs) um so what what do you say when people are like when you you know just you're just introducing yourself to a random person and you're like I'm a musician and they're like can I hear your mu- so can I hear your music on Spotify right yeah I mean that's a question I get a lot yeah and um, luckily because I produce mm-hmm. and songwrite I can play them other people's stuff <laughs> um, and my old band is on Spotify but we'll talk I, about that I don't tell them about it. <laughs> These days, uh, I have been lucky enough to um, spend most of my time writing, um, and so I have a tiny bedroom uh, that's probably not big enough for anyone reasonably to live in, but it's big enough for like a couch and like my studio. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have people come over, and I write a lot, and I'm like in the process of writing as much as humanly possible. And uh, and then one of my best friends also owns a studio called Dreamhouse which uh, 
which Daniel Caesar and The Weeknd recorded at. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesse Reyes. Mm-hmm. And who else? Who else can I name drop? Shad. Shad, yes. <laughs> yes, I recorded drums for Shad's album at Dreamhouse, there actually. There we go. Yeah, a couple years ago. You are a drummer. I am a drummer, yeah. Well, I mean, a multi-instrumentalist. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in the church. Um, so, you know, I think <clears throat> if you ask most young black kids who grew up in uh, the church... Uh, what they play, they'll look at you funny because they'll be like, whatever they told me to play. <laughs> you know, because sometimes you so- show up on Sunday and it's like, so-and-so can't make it. You're playing organ this week. And you're like, but I don't know how to they like shut up and sit down. <laughs> you're playing the organ. So you figure figure stuff out. I'm not necessarily good at all the instruments, but okay. I can kind of like futz about on all of them. Right. Yeah. It's also interesting to see now Daniel Caesar and um, his team why can't i remember that jordan, jordan yep. they all met doing church stuff too 100 yep, so i feel like that's like kind of an underexplored story of the gta music scene i feel like that's it's a thing that people talk about uh with african-american musicians mm-hmm. it's like very much intertwined in that story right. but uh it's kind of interesting here too well it's funny because <clears throat> i think uh in the the black church in canada we we don't have the same legacy Mm. of 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 music we don't have the same history um it's caribbean music right you know like it's it's uh there's an old hymn called i'll fly away i'm not sure if you are familiar with it but it's like i'll fly away oh glory many people may know it from kanye west yeah yes exactly Right. right and um when i grew up i didn't know that that was like a traditional african-american hymnal or just hymnal like gospel hymnal because when i heard it it was calypso okay <laughs> when i grew up it was like ah fly away oh glory ah fly away um yeah and so we have a completely different um sort of like legacy and, and background yeah but uh, every week somebody gets a solo mm-hmm. right so a lot of times people get their solo and they either sing to a track or they get the band to learn the song and that's when you'll play like a Marvin Sapp or Kirk Franklin. And so you end up playing like one of those songs in solo. And so some of it has like kind of crept into our lexicon in the past two decades, I would say. And if you go to Rama, which is like one of the big you know, black churches in the city, um, most of the music sounds like that now. The, the black American style of gospel was, was really established over the past decade. That's so cool. He came out of that. So for like a 18 year old who's listening to this, who maybe has like no frame of reference for what the 2000s Mm. were in music, how would you describe the Carps? Um, It it was uh, very dancey, you know, move your body punk edgy rock you know yeah 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 death from above block party those were all bands that like super inspired me i remember when i was like 19 i went to williamsburg (laughs) i went to new york uh just uh to play we actually went to play the very first afropunk show no way the carbs did the carbs did yeah that's so cool and so we went and we played like maybe not like the first but maybe like the second or third like very early afropunk right. uh, i went to seneca at york and i did a music program there and um there was like a really cute black girl <laughs> with like piercings and like you know goth boots and she was like super alternative and i'd always like see her around campus and be like hey 
hi hey how are you <laughs> uh and then one day she was like um i'm doing a screening of this movie called afropunk you should come check it out and i was like yeah sure whatever you invited me i will go wherever you are <laughs> <laughs> and i went and i met james spooner um the director of the of the documentary and i you know sent him like a myspace link or something mm-hmm. of uh of some demos that the band had and he invited us down to new york to play like a couple months later wow and i stayed with my godmother in flatbush okay and what well, white people live in flatbush <laughs> white people live in flatbush apparently yeah, yeah. which is mind-blowing but then <laughs> yeah yeah um <laughs> and and I, and so <laughs> i, I I woke up in the morning and I talked to my uncle or my, or my, my, my godmother's husband. And I was like, man, I really want to go to Williamsburg. He was like, <laughs> Williamsburg? <laughs> why? And he couldn't understand why I wanted to go there. I was like, no, man, like you don't get it. Like it's, that's where it's like happening. He's like, there is nothing happening in Williamsburg, my friend. Uh, but I was like, please, like, can you take me out there? So he drives me out to Williamsburg. He drops me off. And I'm like walking up and down Bedford. And it was a piece of shit. It really was like awful. Um, there was there wasn't anything other than like the Bedford Strip. There was really nothing happening in Williamsburg. Um, but you know there was like hipsters on fixed gear bicycles and like everybody looked like they were in a band and it was heaven. I absolutely loved it. <laughs> it was like the greatest thing I'd ever uh, experienced. So you play Afropunk with your band. I want to get a sense of how big the band was at the time. The thing is, is that I have no clue. I have oh. no clue. And and I've never known, and I don't think I ever will. Like, last week I had a session with this this dude who's, uh, you know, about a decade younger than me. Mm-hmm. And then the guy in the session who we were producing for, he was like, oh, well, what was your band? I was like, oh, it was this band called The Carps. He was like, that was you? Which is <laughs> <laughs> like a crazy reaction. So I don't know. I don't really ever, mm-hmm. I have no context for it. But we were playing with some of, like, the biggest bands of the time. Like, we'd open for, like, MIA and The Hives and stuff like that. And we played with The Roots. And um, our first album we recorded at The Roots Studio in Philly. Wow. Yeah. So, it's like, there was there was some... there like, We did something. Mm-hmm. You also drummed with Thunderheist. Yeah. Yeah, I drummed with Thunderheist. And for those who are listening and don't know Thunderheist, they were, like... They were part of the second wave of, I would say, hipster music. Like, after, <laughs> like the 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 punky edge kind of wore off after death from above after death from above people were starting to put their guitars away yeah and picking up their synths and they were part of the electro trash thrash punk electro dance blog house blog house yes a hundred percent blog house yes <laughs> blog house uh you said yeah. you recently told me you went to australia with them yeah so i yeah. was like whoa i had no idea like i re- definitely remember going to thunder Heist shows for sure yeah um, but i didn't realize that they went that far thunder Heist was uh japan australia like they were all around the world Damn. okay they got their big break from uh perez hilton <laughs> <laughs> if you recall perez oh hilton my God. um because they had this amazing video of this woman holding a chicken Honestly, they could have gotten a better drummer, <laughs> but I went to uh, I went to college with Isis. Okay. And Graham and I had become buddies. Yeah. Um, and it was a two piece band between the two of them, and they were just like, there was no peace between them. So I was really you were brought just on the to buffer? be. Was that? <laughs> You're just the buffer. I was a buffer. Yeah, I was. I was literally brought on to be drummer slash mediator. 
Oh my yeah. god. That's actually that was actually my role. How much of overlap was there between the Carps and that time with Thunder Highs? Um, it was like a hundred percent overlap. So oh, okay. I was like in and out of the Carps and then Thunder Highs. So I'd like do I do like six weeks with Thunder Highs, come back home, do three weeks with Neil, okay. who was my bandmate in the Carps. And it was crazy because like all I'd ever wanted to do was be on the road. And after I had done it for a year, I like quit both bands. some context to like a different time in Toronto music there's always been like interesting waves that have Mm -hmm. and people who have done quite well for themselves Toronto has had an incredible music scene for years yeah you know like Neil Young and Rick James were in a band together in Toronto what (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know like one of Neil Young's earliest bands was with Rick James they were like boys Rick James was a draft dodger and he like came up from Buffalo the minor birds. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Did I know this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're so young. Babies. Call Alan Cross. <laughs> no, please. <laughs> no. Um, okay, cool. Wow, that's so cool. Uh, and yeah, and they used to like hang out in Yorkville when Yorkville was kind of like I love that. the yeah. East Village of, you know... Toronto and like so insane yeah so I feel like we've had an incredible history of music here you know like and my dad talks about going to see like Patti LaBelle on Young Street right now we know about like Jackie Shane yeah but um you know like the internet changed the way that uh you know exposure and distribution works the the truth is is that you have to leave Toronto yeah it's like it's still pretty much undeniable undeniable you cannot stay here and be a successful artist well, I mean, you, you could we can put air quotes around success, though, right? Because, right. I mean, some people want to be Drake successful. Other people mm-hmm. are happy to have a great life, yeah. but, like, comfortably, not balling out of control. Well, I feel like knowing what I know now about mm-hmm. uh, capitalism <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and art and, and how the two are in, in, intertwined, you, you can't really do that here. Um, I'm trying to think of like a, a Canadian band as an example. Um, like I feel like the Arkells. Okay, so yeah, exactly. So the Arkells are a great example. Mm-hmm. Perfect. That's exactly the kind of level I was thinking of. Um, the Arkells are probably doing well enough to you know pay their bills and put a little bit of money away for savings. But like the Arkells are not going to have enough money to put away for their 85th birthday. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like. It just comes down to the fact that, like, you need royalties. Yeah. If you don't have international exposure, the odds of you getting placed on playlists that are like flashback 2010s, <laughs> you know, a look back at 2015. Yeah. You know, you're not, if you're, if you're not, if you don't have that international exposure, you're not going to get on those playlists and that but money. The playlists don't generate that much revenue anyway, plays, though, right? But I think they will eventually. Mm. That's my hypothesis. I think that, like, Okay, so counter to the like everyone saying Spotify is ripping people off story. Oh, Spotify is one hundred percent ripping people off. Mm. <laughs> but radio was too. 
mm, you know, fair. and um, rights agencies worked really hard, you know, shout out to like SoCan and ASCAP and BMI and the rules are, are ever changing. Right. Spotify has made a ton of money, like an ungodly amount of money in the past few years, and they're going to have to start sharing it. You know, they will. Like, there's just no way around it. Ra- traditional radio is going away mm-hmm. eventually, you know, so it's. I think it's just a matter of time. So. At right. my age, I'm thinking about, okay, how can I continue to get paid for music for the rest of my life? And in a country of 30-odd million people, hmm, the odds aren't great. So let's talk about that plan. Mm-hmm. What have you come up with? <laughs> mm-hmm. So <clears throat> right now I'm working as hard as possible to write as many songs as I can. And um the goal through the next year is to get a new publishing deal mm-hmm. um, and work with somebody who can exploit my music to be a part of a, a hit song. Like Certainly. after Carps and Thunder Heist, mm-hmm. were you like, what were you, were you trying to make it as Jamal? No, um, I, uh, I quit and I moved to New York. Right. And uh, I took a, a long break from music. Mm-hmm. Why weren't you doing music in New York though? I was, um, jaded yeah my bands both my bands had reached a reasonable amount of success but i hadn't cracked the level of success like i wasn't famous and you (laughs) You wanted to be famous i can i can admit that now yeah (laughs) you know like that's important some people can yeah you know know, i'm embarrassed now to say it well i'm actually (laughs) less embarrassed now to say it but at the time i would never i don't want to be famous i don't care you know and uh, that wasn't happening, and I recognized that it was going to take a lot of work, and I was going to have to be a working musician, and it wasn't happening the way I wanted it. So I was like, I'm out. Fuck this. I'll, I'll share this story as an example of my mindset at the time, or my state of mind at the time. Um, a friend of a friend hit me up, uh, and they were like, yo, we, we, we need you to come into audition for Santa Gold. And, and I was like, all right, cool, I'll do it. And so I went to the audition, um, full of like confidence and bravado sit down with the band kill it all three songs bam 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 <laughs> and she's just like sick <laughs> and um, there was this moment where I realized I got the job and so she calls me in for a second audition and on the way there I realized that I was about to start playing in somebody else's band mm-hmm. and that I wasn't going to be the center of attention <laughs> and I'm sitting on the train heading to like the second audition and I'm like nah I don't want this and the the truth of the matter is, is I really did my creepy little sneaky little ego was like hey man don't you want to be the star <laughs> I'm just going to sit back there and let her tell you what to do so it ate me alive so I went and I threw the audition and like probably one of my biggest regrets <laughs> still to this day. Really? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I and I carry and I carry it with me and I hold on to it not because of just like a, as a simple regret, but I w- never want to forget what it's like to listen to the worst parts of my ego. Isn't there just to play devil's advocate though? Isn't mm-hmm. there a side where it's like that is a trap though for a lot of people who do yes. have their own solo ambitions that yes. they get so caught up in being like a session player, whatever mm-hmm. the case may be that they're like, Oh, I'm too, 
I got to do this. I can't fo- you can't focus on your own stuff. There is yeah. a side of that, no? 100%, but I wasn't doing my own stuff then right. anyways. Right. So That's I always the trap, well, right? Yeah. You didn't have the discipline or whatever in anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So the people who get stuck in that trap of just kind of being session players and like always playing for somebody else, that's that's what they want to do. <laughs> like, you know, like you can right. you can quit your band at any point right. and go do your own project. I'm I feel like I'm only kind of going through this now and mm. I feel like a little bit late. How did you figure this stuff out? <laughs> I had to like have a few years distance from it and like close my eyes and picture Santi's face when she, <laughs> when when I was like throwing the audition. The way she looked at me, I will never forget. She was like, "Bruh, what is you doing?" Oh my God. <laughs> you know, I'll never forget that face. And um, I came back to music after I came back um, from New York. And in fact, the day I realized that I had to come back to Toronto was when my buddy Dwayne threw a party with Kay Trinata. Mm. I don't know. Were you at that party? It was like on the rooftop. I remember. And Instagram had just come out too. Everyone started getting better phones. I took a good picture of the skyline that night. I do remember. Instagram plays a pivotal uh, role in this night. Yes, (laughs) exactly. And so like Kay Trinata was blowing up. You know, like Drake and The Weeknd had happened. I just remember feeling this like the deepest sense of FOMO. I'd never felt the FOMO before. It was the first time (laughs) FOMO had crept up. Well, I mean, we we didn't have a name for it at that point, but I felt it and I was like, yo, I got to get back to Toronto. I got to get back there and do music specifically. Um, And so I came back and I like went like pedal to the metal with Brendan and started a little label and, and started kind of trying to work to, to build up other like weirdo black kids who were Mm -hmm. doing alternative music. Where does your music fit into all of this? Yeah, well, you know, so like 20... miracles. Is that is that still the name of the project? Still the name of the project. So 2013 and 14, and even up into 15, I I worked on Brendan Phillip and gave that like my all, <clears throat> and you know we got him signed and we put out a record with Dine Alone. But it's really hard to work in support of one of your best friends. Mm. That's like, I realized that I'd much rather have him as a friend. And so now we're back to just like smoking weed and hanging out and telling jokes to each other. Sorry, what was the question? I don't remember. The oh, oh, your miracles. music. Yeah, what about your music? <clears throat> my yeah. music, yeah. See how I like to avoid talking about my own music? Ooh. <laughs> um, so in 2016, I started Miracles. I started writing songs, and the first songs I wrote were gospel songs. Nothing else felt right. Are you talking about gospel thematically or like... Thematically, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like... S- writing about spirituality right okay you know and um and i really felt uh a calling to go back to god i'm not a christian you know like it's part of as they say smalling up yourself Mm. (laughs) you know like the process of me learning to work with others and the process of me learning to be you know supportive of others and kind of in the background was me like smalling up myself and like you know growing closer to god Mm. you know like whatever god is and um, that's the only way I can write music, actually. Art is about God. You know, you are God. I mm-hmm. am God. God is within this essence, you know, and, and, and within the trees and all the animals and the birds and the bees, right? And, like, real art talks about that. And I think that's why gospel music is so 
powerful. And I wanted miracles to be a reminder that, uh, that that was what I was after. And I also thought that it would be a miracle if I could <laughs> get back to where I was as an I was, artist. I was wondering <laughs> that had something to do with it too. Yeah. I like that. I think it's important for people to know that like you just need to keep kind of going. There probably isn't a day that goes by that I don't make a song. Mm-hmm. Like I make music every day. Right. You know? Which is what you should be doing. Should do, like yeah, do I it. need to be reading and writing every single yeah. day. Yeah, right? yeah absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, like even even the days when I don't create an entire song, I'm working on music. But I also haven't felt compelled to share any of it yet. I was just thinking about it. I was like, oh, you know, Jamal, he, he always seems so confident. And I, I I think we have that in common. I think people mm-hmm. <clears throat> people do describe me as very confident. Mm-hmm. But very recently, I've kind of gone through this reckoning where I was like, oh, I was just being confident to hide all the ways. I'm <laughs> I feel, a fraud. <laughs> I feel broken inside. Yes. Yeah. 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 I wondered if, if you ever thought about what you're using your confidence to cover up. Um, I really want people to like me. Yeah. You know, and people like confident people. Mm-hmm. When you're like certain and you're like, absolutely. People are like, oh, this guy knows what's going on. I'll follow him. You know, um, yeah. I really wanted people to like me and, and think that I knew what was going on and that, you know, I had a handle on things. Um, that you were a man about town. That I was a man about town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, insecurities with body image, mm-hmm. you know, insecurities with, um, within my my ideas and uh, around spirituality even there's and, a period in your 20s where you you think you figured it out or that the oh. baggage from your teenage years or something like mm. that isn't isn't it doesn't have any impact on you and then you yep. hit like 30 something and you're like oh maybe i should have worked on that a little bit like oh i actually do feel like that little chubby mm-hmm. kid from mm-hmm. grade eight exactly, inside, exactly. you know that's well, crazy. What happened was, <laughs> um, at the same time, so in 2016, I broke up with my girlfriend and we got dropped from our deal. Like, mm. at the exact same time. <laughs> like This is with Brendan. This is with Brendan, yeah. yeah. Um, within the span of, like, two weeks. Oof. And then, like, it was weird because I quit my job, too. I was, like, asked out, had no money. So I sublet my apartment and moved back in with my parents in Scarborough. What I actually did in my 20s was I took all of my t-shirts and, like, my, like, ripped jeans and, like, all the clothes that I had when I was still living in my parents' place and packed it all up in boxes and shoved it in my parents' closet. And it just sat there throughout my 20s. And my mom, every few months, would be like, yeah, boy, you better come get this thing. I'm going to throw it out. <laughs> and uh, I'd be like, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. I'm going to come get it at some point. And I'd, like, I'd left all, this, all these clothes there for, like, a decade, for the better part of a decade. Um, and then I was 30 something, moved back in my parents and went into the closet and found all these clothes (laughs) and threw them all out. (laughs) And I like, and I think like that, that is, um, uh, that's, that's analogous to what actually happens, you know, for your, your insides. Cause I thought I was grown throughout my twenties. I was like, oh yeah, all those insecurities, you know, cause I was chubby and had pimples in high school. You know what I mean? And I was a weird kid you know like i walked around with like a guitar with no case (laughs) all the time all i did was listen to music i was that kid in school who always had his headphones on i didn't have any friends Mm. um in fact yolanda abrahams my Mm. best friend she was my only friend in high school 
What a sweetheart. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I wouldn't say, I would never say I was bullied, but I definitely was like an, the odd one out. But I was like confident enough because I had music. Mm-hmm. I was like, don't you worry, I'm going to be a rock star one day. Right. You know, and, and, and so like I, had, I hadn't dealt with all that sort of stuff. And my desire to be famous and successful in my band through my 20s was motivated by the fact that I was like, this chubby, insecure teenager. And right. I hadn't resolved that, right. you know? You still had to show people. Still had to show them, you know? And so I, it wasn't until I was in my early 30s that I was like, oh. But I think 45-year-old me is going to be proud to know that the 35-year-old me has no idea what the fuck is going on. <laughs> it is an improvement on your yeah. 20s when you think you know everything. Think I know whatever. You know shit. No idea. <laughs> no idea. Once again, I'd love to know what you think of this series. Should I keep going? Can you help me get funding? I produce this all by myself because I think it's important for artists to be able to talk about their work in all contexts, including outside of the promotional cycle. For more, check out the newsletter that I write every couple of weeks. It's called Burnout as well. And you can find that at anupa.substack.com. That's A-N-U-P-A dot And special thanks to Vocal Fry Studios and Nanaba Duncan.